OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Uh, welcome, everybody. Today, we're sitting with Colin uh, Mullet, and I want to say uh, thank you very much for being with us today. We're, uh, we're on our, I'm going to make a guess and say we're between 40 and 60 uh, if well, I should check the number, but we just keep rolling. So on our uh, interview podcast and uh, very excited to, to have you here today. Uh, we've got you. to learn a little bit about you, but I think today we're going to really dive in and we've talked about some of the great uh, podcasts we've done already and it's been a huge learning experience. Uh, but today it's uh, Colin, it's your shine show. So let's, uh, let's really make this sing, but uh, I'm excited to learn what there is. But the way we start off all of our shows is uh, I want to hear a little bit about your background, a little bit about where you're at now and what you're up to. And then one thing about you that nobody will know. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, I'm not good at keeping stories about uh, myself short, but a little bit about me is uh, I think every investor I've, I've watched talk about their story. They, everyone says uh, they're atypical. So I'm not going to be any different than that. But um, my background, uh, the relative contextualized to this is I'm, I'm actually from the trade. So actually, I spent 10 years as a roofer on the tools, um, was always a good student and stuff like that. Um, uh, went to, uh, when I was at uh, college, I was going to be a pharmacist and had ideas to do that. And I was a good student, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, I found myself in the trades and I spent 10 years doing that, um, investing along the way and picking up some real estate along the way. But uh, roofing, nonetheless, I spent five years. Um, five years as a manager, uh, as a project manager at a large uh, roofing and exteriors firm in Calgary. And while I was there, we, uh, I, we planted a, like a subsidiary com company to do uh, commercial roofing and exteriors. And so that was year one, year month 14 while I was there. And we grew from our first year, we did uh, 440 in revenue. We had three employees and we grew that. And by the year four, when I left, we did um, seven and a half million in revenue across four divisions and 41 employees. And so I do actually know how to grow a business. I have a lot of context for what these guys are going through. I did that in, in like, because I was a subsidiary, I was using other people's resources to grow a business. Um, as far as like, personally, I got, I got five kids. I'm, my domain of expertise is obviously roofing and construction, but you know, on the personal side, I've, I got, I really know a ton about uh, personal relationships, about marriage. I got a solid, solid marriage. I got solid kids and I got incredible friendships. If like, if you know, there's my saying with my I talk with my wife is like, they were already rich and one day we might be wealthy because I'm already rich uh, in so many ways. Uh, I just feel super blessed for her. Uh, I'm not lonely. <laughs> so yeah, that would be kind of the, without going too far down those rabbit holes, that's what I'm doing. And then, you know, my day-to-day -day job now is I, I own real estate. So um, we're rehabbing buildings uh, that we've purchased and uh, we're building an industrial park, uh, light, light services, meaning. So we took 26 acres, relatively flat and fencing it off and renting a one uh, land lease. So we're doing one acre at a time, 10 acres at a time, whatever. And and um, so those are my active businesses. And then this other thing we got going on a couple of years ago, I, I guess two Decembers ago, um, started Looney Ventures, which is a, I'm a general partner in. Uh, we do angel investing. We cut checks between ten dollars and $25,000 for really early stage kind of pre-seed seed and maybe up to series A. And then um, trying to develop a narrow thesis for how to invest in this really cool landscape, which I really feel like I identify with, with the founders. So that's hope that's short enough, touches on enough to give context. I don't, I'm not good at keeping it short. So. Brilliant, man. I didn't know you had five kids. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Huge. You didn't share that last time. That's a big piece of information. That is yeah. like, that's yeah. like saying, um, four, uh, four girls, one boy. Oh, that's amazing, man. That is so awesome. Congrats. Thank I don't know you. how you have time to do anything. Five kids. Wow. Wife, man. Life hack. Life hack number one. Uh, marry someone that you love and respect, and uh, that's gonna that's gonna do wonders. So. Just makes things a lot easier. Well, congrats. That's awesome to you and the wife. Uh, brilliant. And I do love the saying: uh, "You guys are rich in life, and one day maybe you'll be wealthy." I love that because it's so true. There's always room to grow everywhere, but it seems like you've really planted yourself nicely. Um, and you're, you're working everything out a little bit at a time and growing it. So that's pretty exciting. 
Well, it speaks also to that, like life is about the journey, not the destination, right? Uh, there is a there is a inflection point where you are actually financially independent, and when there, the day before that you're not financially independent, and that really is a destination that you can measure and has a metrics and all that other stuff. But if that's a ten year journey or a twenty year journey or a thirty year journey, I mean, those, and you're miserable along the way, not rich along the way, then it's like, what have you traded? You've traded the most valuable thing in life, which is time. And so I'm not going to waste my time being miserable and making the sacrifices that aren't worth it. So I've, I did that mental math with mentors and other people along the way so that I'm, I'm rich and that is going to not going to ever be reflected in my bank account balance. So, cause I was rich before I, when I was still poor. So. Hey, that's the best way to think, man. I love that. So, uh, I, well, I, I don't want to put your words in your mouth. One or one thing that somebody wouldn't know about you. I would say the five kids is amazing, but there's gotta be something out there that, uh, it maybe won't top that because I think five kids today is uh, pretty incredible. But is there anything else that you would uh, to notice something that somebody wouldn't know about you that's fascinating? Yeah, for your for the audience, it would be interesting. I lived in a faith based arts community for another uh, six or eight months. Um, it's got to be 13, 14 years ago. And so it's like a it's called Rosebud, Alberta. It's a little it's a community that runs a. a a dinner theater and it's the collection of the most like incredibly talented people. So like, be, it's like being around just everyone was just incredibly gifted. So like, you know, a party on a Friday night would be, you know, someone would like jump on the piano and someone would be playing the, and they would just like the violin. It's like, well, you're like in some kind of uh, like music video or something. It was, it was far out and uh, getting to connect with artists. They see the world a lot like founders do. Um, they, they're trying to pull principles and life and beauty out of things and trying to f see the future and very have, you know, trade openness. They're very open to new ideas and, um, I, they're just a great people. So that would be a, a different, uh, thing that you wouldn't, that would not, that would never come up in conversation. It would, you would, you'd have to know me in order to know that. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a good experience. Uh, you get to learn from all uh, facets of life and I, I love the creative, uh, big fan. But I think at the end of the day, you got to be a big fan of all sectors. If you want to uh, learn more about culture, investing and everything else, you kind of have to fit in everywhere and just move as you go. Mile wide, mile wide and an inch deep. I love that. Yeah. Uh, there was um, when, our, when we had uh, our initial conversations, uh, I was really fascinated and a huge fan of kind of your where you came from and where you started to invest from. And that was in the services industry. As you mentioned, you were working in the, the, the roofer area, and we had a good long conversation about that. Because yeah. um, I'm a big fan of this space, uh, working it every day. Well, not every day, maybe four days a week. But yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of that. And I, I think it's that end tactile product that you're building that you can see, hey, man, I did that. Or, hey, I worked on this. And it's, it's really cool. But uh, what, what is the, what's the, I guess, the theme about what you were doing? And how did that transfer back to how you work with startups today? And I know there's got to be a lot of hustle in there that kind of really ties it in and pulls it together. But what are the things that you can take from that learning that really um, uh, exemplify your efforts, but also get people on the other side really understanding where you're coming from? Because it's kind of a different thing. You're not coming from a bank. You're coming from a service space and you're saying, hey, man, I've been able to create some great things and build up and now I'm really expanding it. But what do you take that back to founders and how does that help them? Yeah. I, I tend to see the world in principles and not rules. And so the principles that are like, um, that are the same in a roofing business, which is a service-based business are going to be the same inside like a, pardon me, a tech-based business or any kind of new business. You still got to have sales. You still got to lead and you still got to execute. The world rises and falls on leadership, families, communities, countries, municipalities, and of course, businesses. And so if you can't lead, you're not going to be a, a good founder. If you can't execute, if you can't pivot, and if you can't sell, um, I don't care if you can build a good product. That's great. Can you sell it? Can you market it? Do you understand that there's more tools available that you don't have? Um, you don't have all the answers. You don't have all the tools. Can you go ask for help? Can you go get mentorship? Do you know how to get in front of mentors? And that's what I got. I got in front of mentors. I asked for help. I, we, we as a team were really, I think we were, we were crazy successful. Um, so um, you know, that division has gone on to be like 12 and a half million and for a roofing company, it's not, it's not a small thing. And I know what it's like to scale up. I know what it's like to, so we started winning projects. You know, I remember what I was excited to win my first $25,000 project because I had to both win work and execute the work. I had to both um, hire and fire. So I was doing like, I was doing everything. I built three of the four divisions. So 
or started, you know, roughly speaking. So, you know, when then we were on one of our first $50,000 and then our first hundred, like six figures. Well, now we've done a hundred thousand. Now we're doing a $500,000 project and then you're doing a million dollar project. And I know what it's like to go through that process and to learn your way through an industry. And um, all industries have kind of gatekeepers and, and, and just there's, there is processes in every industry. And if you're really blazing trails, there's still these principles that are the same in my world and the same in their world. And I can speak to that. And um, I'm really good at creating belief. I believe in people and, um, and I can, I, I can see what is next. And so that's in the founder's world. I connect with them on that. And so those are the things that are transferable. Um, is there like, it, it's a slower world though, construction. So um, in that regard, doesn't doesn't scale the same way. Doesn't it's it is like it is one for one. You put in, you put in an hour, you get an hour out. It's not like oh, you put in an hour and you build a product that people can use for forever. It does not work like that. There's so there's there's lots of differences as well. I love it, man. You put in you you said a, a bunch of different things there that resonate, but also I want to kind of explore. And I'm going to take what you said and dive this at you into kind of like a funnel. So sure. you took a company, um, like you said, you started off with this first $25,000 uh, job and then you kept building on it. So where did you take, you got yourself up to 7.5 million, I believe you said earlier, and then the company kind of ex executed it from there to go even bigger to the 12.5 now. So to get to that 7.5 million, and this is what I really want to explore is that outside of, there's a ton of hustle in this, but you mentioned a couple of key words, team. Yep. execution and focus. So yep. how much do those things really matter to this early stage company? Like they're saying to you like, Hey man, I'm a team of two. We're trying to build this company and, and can you uh, invest in this call? And what do you think you can do? So how much is team and execution uh, really important? And then what order do you put them in and focus? Cause you're, you said roofing. Yeah. And to people, they probably were thinking, Oh, well we could build our own shingle. We could, uh, hire teams to go and put roofs on. We could build the walls. We could actually do the cement concrete floors. What are you telling companies when they're doing this? Like if you're rating those three things, are you looking at it saying, hold on, put the brakes on. This is what you're good at. This is what you're going to focus on. Five years, only roofs, five people on the team. You're going to grow to 10. How are you making that work for them? There's a few things. So for one in my world, service-based industry, there's a super power called answering your phone. I can't, like you would, it blows my mind that you're a project manager, general manager, and you're unavailable when it's your number one job is to be a communicator. Like you're a, you are a headquarters for communication for what's going on, what's coming in. And people want um, to get a hold of you. So you got to be available. That is number one um, part of it. And then you go into the, so that might be a functional leadership or whatever. I'm not sure what the, what you'd associate it with, but, and then you got to be sold out. So like I made a lot of sacrifices. I was absolutely sold out. I carried that flag at that company. Like it was mine. So I had that own, you hear a lot of people um, kind of give advice that like act like an owner and eventually you'll become an owner or act like a principal and you eventually become a principal. That's what Naval says. And I fully a thousand percent agree with it. One of the reasons I, uh, you know, the inflection of when I left that company, they'd asked me, they had actually asked me to buy into the company. So like that is true that when you act like an owner, you typically get treated like an owner. And so um, I had ownership mentality from the get go. I, I am an entrepreneur by nature. And so even though I didn't get um, paid like one, I thought like one, I got paid well, but, and so I made a lot of sacrifices. I executed, I, I worked Saturdays, uh, I worked Fridays, I did whatever I, I could to keep my promises to my customers or my team. Because part of, when you have employees, part of the, and it's your service-based company, part of your, part of the promise is that you're gonna have work on Monday or Tuesday or next Friday or next month for your guys. And so part of what um, kept me driven was making sure all the people I had promised employment to that I had work for them. And then if they wanted overtime, I had overtime for them. And then I continued to build constraints uh, or systems so that they would be, um, they would tilt towards the employee so that I could, I could train and retain my employees because one of the things in a service company is if you are hiring really competent people, they could go across the street and buy a truck and a ladder and become your competition. And so if you don't make it, if you're not thinking through the lens of how do I retain this exceptional, because at the end of the day, I can buy the same materials as another roofing company. Um, so we're really in the skilled labor uh, business. If you don't understand what your core business is, you're just, you're missing it. You're, you're not keeping the main thing, the main thing. And, um, and so I, we had that lens, we had that HR, we had really robust HR policies we had really robust HR hiring and firing and all that stuff. And you get really deep into that conversation, but 
and that's a lot about leadership and people. But at the end of the day, they still you got to keep the main thing. The main thing is like guys got to have work. Like if they don't have work, they are they're insecure and they're looking for somewhere for something else. And so um, I was really 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 good at that, and I can sell. So I was constantly winning work and keeping my promises, and that's the biggest thing. People want doesn't matter at that $25,000, the million dollar project. These are still project managers. They're still people and they want someone to rely on. They want someone that says, I'm going to be there Tuesday. You're going to be there Tuesday. Or something goes on. You tell them Monday, Hey, I can't come tomorrow because of X. And you just tell them the truth. And there is a lot of nefarious conversations and communication, a lot of excuses. People hate that. People see through it. They won't call you on it because they don't want to go through the process of like, you know, Oh, now it's a conflict, but tell the truth. And that, obviously applies to what we're talking about um you know most of these angel investors are very competent bs readers and so they know when you're talking bs they know what's going on and founders think they're good they're, they're the smartest one in the room and it's like usually investors know when people are being undisciplined in their language undisciplined in what they're communicating and undisciplined in what their um what their promises are and investors are going to see right through that and they might they're not going to say it i see through your bs because they could be wrong they know that too but um yeah being authentic and being real and being honest is a big deal and just if you can't execute just tell people i can't execute because of a don't say it uh, say because of a but a is embarrassing tell the truth i love that i i love the that you um there was one interview we did where uh you know i think it was, we were mentioning before where the he used a ton of quotes like <laughs> ridiculous amount of quotes and i was like man i can't keep up with this um but you've got a lot of great lines like be available, answer your call, answer your phone. Like these things are little things that you don't think about, but man, are they so damn important and crucial to running your own company and right. carrying that over like that experience you have and being able to step up. I love the fact that you said, uh, you know, act like you're an owner because one day you're going to be one. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, the more that you put yourself in that position, the more you take accountability, the more right. that you're going to step up. And those things carry through as an entrepreneur and as a startup business. So I can just see that you're taking all that learning and you're putting it into these companies that um, when you're talking with them and you're working with the ownership, you're trying to figure out, are they going to be able to deliver these types of things? Am I going to be able to make an investment and know that this company's doing all these things and they're not just wasting time and, and not getting anywhere? So I, I think those things so much resonate all the way across the funnel or across uh, any individual that's going to start or run a business. So I think that's brilliant. I love it. You think um, the, the language we use is we use, you know, iterate, you know, iterate, 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 which is like, it's just practice. And so what you're, what you're talking about and how you're phrasing it is just like practice and iterate being an owner, because there's developers out there right now that are, are, um, you know, saving up or, or working on their thinking. But if you're like, no, I'm an employee and I'm going home at five o'clock. It's like, well, you're going to take that habit and that thinking and that mentality into your business. And we're going to sniff it out. Um, pure and simple. <laughs> yeah, they're going to know. And it's interesting you said that because when I worked my day back in Loblaws, um, uh, when I was a uh, 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 product manager, if you will, for all the e-commerce platforms, I would. I'd work 12, 14, 18 hours a day, seven days a week because I loved it. Right. The learning I was getting was so intense. Um, but I had accountability to all of the customers that were buying from our, pro our products from our sites. And I just wanted to make sure that I got their pictures there for Christmas or that I, whatever I had to do. And which it is, made a difference, right? Because people how thought, an owner thinks. Right. Which is how an owner thinks, right? Yes. You're right. But that's how an owner thinks. They care about their customer. They care about executing. They want to be there. They want to serve from the ground up. They don't want to, it's not about my customer serving me. It's about me serving my customers. And that's exactly. an orientation. That is definitely like a mental orientation. And it's, you got it wrong if you're a customer. You're trying to, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So answer your phone, man. I love it. Right? So, <laughs> I love that line. Uh, I, I don't want too many people to hear that because I do get a lot of calls and I can't answer it all the time and I feel guilty, but it's also because, uh, um, I think in time, uh, you have to shape the direction you want to go. And you mentioned a lot of that before. So, uh, now you've kind of like moved this learning into kind of the new things you're working on. You're building properties here. You've really kind of expanded that same structure that you started with and taking it to a whole new level, which is awesome. And you continue to drive that forward. So now maybe um, uh, what's your biggest focus on with the investment side where you guys are making investments? Is there a certain, is there a thesis that you're focused on? You want only this vertical, this type of company? Um, is it more uh, open field on this? And is there any key things that you look for when you're making investments? 
So uh, our investment thesis is not super narrow. There's no verticals. There's things I like and prefer. Obviously, things I understand. So I like construction products, but in general, they're not not a ton of scale. So you're just manufacturing. And being in the industry, those are super slow um, things to change. Adoption is very difficult because the people installing them, um, again, going back to that skilled labor, these guys do not like changing things the way they do it. And managers do not want to fight with their employees to, to uh, you know, to real, to learn on the fly. So there's like, there's all these like real things that are very hard to, so anyways, uh, I like construction. I understand it. Not a lot of scale. I like, um, I love, cause I'm in real estate. I love SAS because, or RAS, like one of my our investments is in uh, robotics. And so I love that monthly recurring revenue. It, it matches commercial real estate like I, like I have. So I, I feel like it's kind of my, um, my richer cousin or something. So I like that. Um, we're not agnostic on uh, values. We like businesses that contribute good to society or are, are perceived good to society. So we're not going to invest in just good businesses or just good administrative tools, even if they are good uh, investments. So, um, and then we're, we are trying to do uh, obviously like everybody else, 10X and um, early stage. So series pre-seed, seed and series A, although my first investment was actually like a, probably a series E or something that was after a down round. Uh, long story, but um, so yeah, pretty narrow. Twenty five million and under is what our evaluations are. Otherwise, ten x is hard to get get into after after that. No, I agree with that. Uh, you mentioned one thing too, uh, which I want to kind of go back to, only because it follows in with your thesis, and, and you have got a um, a good sized thesis on what companies are going after pre seed seed under twenty five million. So we kind of, the two of us kind of work a bit together in that sense. Um, but one thing you mentioned, which I think I, I'd really like to explore here is I can see what's next. Mm. And I think that that line is huge because a lot of people can't see what's next. A lot of founders can't see it, but investors also, maybe they pretend to see what's next, but they're very tunnel vision too, right? Uh, because we know what we know and we don't tend to be generalists and we don't tend to know much. So how do you kind of work with the startup to be able to see what that is? What's that vision of where you're going? Cause I think sometimes we put a dart out there and say, oh, I'm going towards that, but it might be so unrealistic and so unachievable that it depresses you along the way and you don't make it there. So uh, if you have this vision and you're able to see that, how do you get others to see it and drive them in that same direction? Yeah, I don't think I'm not the one selling, selling shares. So I'm not, the, you know, I'm not the one trying to raise a fund. So then it really comes down so it's more like, do I believe this person? Do I believe their narrative? Do I believe that they're going to execute? And do I believe that the problem they're solving is actually a problem? <clears throat> There's some problems that are like, they're not problems. And your solution is a non-solution to a non-problem. So I don't believe, I don't believe your thesis on your problem. I don't believe your, <clears throat> so how can I possibly believe anything else? And then if I don't believe that you've even identified the right problem and you're asking for money, that's going to be a very difficult place for us to open our wallet. We're not going to be, you know, rude about that or anything. I'm not even going to communicate that, but that's obviously how I'm going to process that because um, not every problem um, is a problem or you've misconstrued it or uh, it's in the wrong direction. So just because some laws are changing doesn't mean everything is. Um... Yeah. So uh, I, I, I look to be converted to becoming a believer for these companies. Do I believe, do I believe your narrative? Do I believe what you're, I want to become a believer in this person. I want to become a believer and um, they'll either convert me or they won't. So does that kind of get you that long-term vision then? So you're actually visioning where they're going to go and then you decide from there, you know what? I could make an investment. I could see them getting to this point um, and they're not saturating the market. They're learning a lot. Yeah. I think this is something investable. Um, oh. And does it go to that being able to vision out yourself where they're going to be? So I'll tell, how would I tell a quick story and hopefully this answers. So I was looking at a cryptocurrency that wants to tokenize uh, real estate. I think that kind of stuff is absolutely inevitable. I'm in real estate. It makes sense. It adds liquidity. It's kind of a no brainer. You look at this DeFi stuff and I am not educated enough to have an intelligent conversation, but I understand that monetizing around the world, a single currency is just, is literally probably inevitable. There are reasons to hold back on them and to have sovereignty and all these other things that play into it. But Tokenizing real estate makes sense, but when you set up a, uh, so that's, so you're aligned with the problem, you've identified the problem, but your solution is we're going to set up 
uh, tokenization and it's cost you 9% on your real estate. And you're like, well, you are, you are literally just transferred the problem with brokerages into your, into your site. You've shrunk it down to two years. Um, like your time horizons for paybacks and stuff like that. Well, that does not, does not add up to the time horizons that people in real estate are We're thinking five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. If we're holding real estate, these things don't add up your platform, your solution. It actually sucks. I would never use your, your platform. And um, so I, uh, so hopefully that would be how I see the future. I don't, I, I see the future going tokenization in that category. I don't think their solution, I don't believe it. I believe they've identified the right problem. I think their solution is a money grab and would never use the solution myself. And someone else will come along and do it better and do it cheaper and do it faster. And, and so I think that. But that is, you're right. That's a vision, right? That's being able to see what's coming and, and saying, you know what, based on my experience, I can see where this is going. And if you don't have that experience, then you tend to just not be able to vision it. And then you're just throwing money at a problem and thinking, ah, maybe they'll solve it. It sounds right. It's kind of like someone pitching you and they're going super technical. And you're sitting there thinking, this doesn't need to be so technical. I know what you're talking about. And you're actually just trying to get money out of me. And this makes no sense. Like your solution is actually worse. And I think you're actually going to make it harder for people to do anything. So I'm out. Right. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, I think uh, back to that word narrative. Uh, I remember, I, I want to hear this story. I don't really want to care about the jargon. It's like you either can do your job or you can't. That should be somewhere in your resume. Not, um, you're not, not going to wild me with, with jargon. Because if you lose me, I'll glaze over and... <laughs> Is that an over with? Yeah, yeah. and that's why I'm a roofer, right? There's parts I just don't have the tech stack knowledge to know what's going on. If I have to stop you 40 times to ask questions, it's not efficient. So you got to know, you know, you got to know your audience when you're when you're start being a storyteller. You can go if someone might just geek out with you. Like when I'm roofing, I could talk to roofers and just geek out because there's there's a ton of chemistry in the in the commercial world, and I could just I could get into the polymethamethacrylates and all these, you know, whatever. I can get really technical. No one cares. No one cares about jargon. It is jargon and it's word jargon for a reason. So don't, people don't care. Um, geek out with the people that are geeking out with you. I'm an investor. So I care about you. I care about your narrative and I care about the problem you're trying to solve. And can do you have the right solution? I don't care. I don't care about the jargon. I like that. Uh, so now, now you've kind of, uh, you've done a lot of things. You're working on the, the new, the new build. What, uh, what's keeping you, gelled or, or moving forward what, what's the thing that's exciting you the most is there a, a shift in the market that's getting you really pumped up and you're trying to move in that direction or are you just sticking with the real estate side because you guys have been uh, doing that well and you're expanding and growing what, what's kind of been that new narrative if you will for yourselves um so what's interesting is how much the the nomenclature is not jargon, but like there is becoming this new, better awareness of um, kind of angel investing and outside investing, private equity, whatever, coming into like just normal people. So what I tell people in angel investing, it's actually all opening these other opportunities that are more connected to my real estate than they are inside my, um, our angel investing. So, so that's really neat. We're actually able looking at selling a large chunk of our land and taking a um, taking an equity position. And I would have never had that opportunity if I wasn't an angel investor. So that's pretty, pretty unique. And that's like selling. Yeah. So um, I love angel investing. It's something where I probably takes up still 10 to 20 hours of my week. I work a lot of hours. I love working, but um, I could see myself going fuller time as I ease into it. But this is not how I pay the bills yet. I'm not a venture capitalist. I still pay my bills through real estate and um, yeah. So that's so, cool. So there's, yeah. a, there's been some good crossover and learnings from working in this space or meeting different individuals that have kind of opened up uh, a lot of opportunity. And now you're kind of uh, progressing through and, and making bigger things happen. Yeah, my mentor, uh, I'm lucky to have a mentor in investing and, you know, I get to bounce off like every idea. And when I was a project manager, my boss was like across the hall. So I could just get up, walk across, his, across the hallway and ask him questions. And he had a ton of experience and growing his own businesses and um you know funny enough his his um, brother is on dragon's den right now so I, you know i got some pretty good insights into how the world works and some bigger business um so so um having mentorship like helps and it also by being in this you get this investment thesis that gets keeps rounded out and so i get those like broader uh 
view of what goes on inside businesses, what a venture capital real, really is, um, what a founder believes. Um, because founders are the ones who are going to move the world forward. And so you want to know how they think. You want to know how investors think because that's that ecosystem. Um, that is what's driving the world forward. So I think that's, there's so much leadership stuff that drips in through that. And I'm so, I'm so into getting, um, you know, accumulating wisdom, accumulating knowledge and being on the bleeding edge of leadership and ideas is a big deal. So for personally, so I'm not sure if that's a good answer or not, but that no, is. That is. And, and I love the fact that you're focusing in on that learning and the leadership side, uh, because when you start to do that, it transfers over to the companies you invest in. You start to push some of that knowledge or at least updating them and getting them a little bit in that same note. And, and I think that makes a big difference. Um, and you mentioned with the mentorship side, is, uh, is it something that you um, put in and coach with a lot of the startups that you work with and invest in? And you put your time into saying, hey, I'm here, whatever you guys need, let's brainstorm, like that kind of thing? No, actually, I'm more of a, I, I think the value I bring is I'm uh, pretty relational. And so it's very lonely, I think, for a lot of founders. I don't think, so I think my thing that I've seen to bring value is I'm kind of, I see my investment as like purchasing a ticket to someone's journey, personal. And once I've made that, you know, that, that placement, that investment, um, I don't really expect a return. I understand what, uh, you know, category of risk we're in. And obviously I believe in the invest, uh, investments we place, but I don't expect a return. And I really just get to see this person's journey. And so I'm a cheerleader. And so because I'm aligned like that, um, I get to know these founders and get to, there's a friendship I think that e evolves and I get to, when they're lonely, I get to be, I just get to be a friend and get to be there. I'm not sure. And obviously there's gonna be strategy and conversations and stuff like that, but they get to share their lumps and their warts. And that seems to be um, where I bring value. That's what goes back to, you know, helping create belief because when you're lonely, those are the things that start to atrophy belief in yourself, belief in the belief in the solution. And um, I think. Like I doing the right things, right? If you know you're on the right track and sometimes you get to a, a thicker spot, and uh, they'll bounce some ideas off and you have a good conversation and it, it kind of helps rejuvenate where your, your mission, if you will. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's accurate. Going back to, I believe everything rises and falls in leadership. So everything we talk about is about leadership and personal growth when these, we're having these personal conversations. So I'm able to pinpoint or I don't necessarily like that, that accuracy of that word, but I'm able to just talk and encourage. And that's what we need as humans. These are humans that are running, running these companies. These are humans that are, um, it's just like it's a human that, that has a project at $25,000. It's a human that is running a project at $1.5 million. It's a human that is running a million dollar company. It's a human that is running a billion dollar company. So everybody wants human connection. Steve Jobs spent the last like week of his life watching movies with his friends. Right? He wasn't planning out his biography or leaving this legacy. He was connecting with people. He's dying. And all he wants to do is connect with his friends. So um, we all want connection and I get that. Um, it doesn't really translate into investing, but in relationally, it's certainly translates. And I'm able to have these conversations to just encourage, to encourage, to encourage. And I love that. I love that. If you're my buddy, if you're my friend on a personal level. That's what I'm doing. I'm challenging you and I'm encouraging you. That's, that's kind of, that's the, that's the space I fill. Um, cause I believe in people. I just, I believe wholeheartedly in people. I love it. I love it. And I, and, uh, I feel, uh, we're very aligned on a lot of these things because we're part of the journey. Right. And I, I like that you brought that up that you're, you're buying a ticket uh, and you're on the journey and uh, you know, if the ticket doesn't uh, uh, sell at the end or it's, it's just a ticket that you can put in a frame that looks good that, you know, to me, that's uh, that's part of that journey. And uh, I'm happy to be part of that journey and see where you guys net it out. But uh, always the biggest cheerleader on the bench, trying to make sure that, uh, the companies that we bought the ticket to that they're going to just take off or they're going to do well, or they're going to be happy and they're growing their companies and they're meeting the right people. Um, and all we can do is the cheerleaders is keep making connections and trying to help them uh, be successful, be an ear when they need to be. Uh, but being there for them, I think is uh, a big thing because we all feel that there's that um, time where I'm in the thick of it and no one wants to be there to help me because I need money or I need something else. Right. No, you're right. And context would change. If I was running a fund and I was raising other people's money, there would be a different level of due diligence and there'd be a different level of, of um, expectation and holding people's feet to the fire. 
that because you'd be more of a, a true leadership position as opposed to principles of leadership where you're building people up. It's like, no, this is, this is your more, I expect more now that would be, that might look different, even though I'd be still personable about it, but I'm not raising, I don't, I'm not running somebody else's fund. I'm running my, my fund and my partners. And so this is our money and we get to decide how we orient ourselves in the world. And if I was running someone else's money, there's a greater level of responsibility that comes with that. And so these, where you hear these other things breaking down where people want to make sure they get every nickel of value that they can from, from every transaction they have. I understand that mentality too. It's just not how I, I approach. I have the, the luxury of purchasing tickets and getting to go on this journey with these people. That's a luxury. I don't think a fund has that luxury. They get to, they have much more accountability to their investors and, have, and so they should. They do, but we can still use the same mentality that you're using because I think that that's a great way of doing it because you can create a little bit of pressure to get them moving forward, but at the same time, um, being able to sit in the vehicle and ride along and be able to share updates and experiences and bring new people in when they need it, that was also part of that journey to help them grow. So there's kind of two sides, there's metrics and there's accountability to the, the funds and the dollars and the people investing. But the other side is humanizing it and creating a journey that you can be part of, that you can be excited about and knowing when to jump in and help versus knowing when to sit back, watch and take it in. Right. And those are two big variable differences that make a huge difference in a startup uh, because you do need to, need to know when and when not to, because sometimes they're doing really well and they don't need you bugging, but they need you to support in other areas. So you figure that out as you go. So it's uh, it's a really cool uh, concept, but I love the fact that you've got the opportunity to um, work it at the angle that you need to, to make it fit with you and your partner on how you grow that opportunity. But, you know, and from that, we're going to transition into the um, speed round. Okay. And, uh, I'll try to be so quick. Far, I'm, I've, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to remember all of your lines, but man, you got a lot of good lines. So there's a lot of good material there. I'm going to try and use some of these. Yeah, that's all I got. Unless it's in marriage, that's all I got. I got like six lines and that's it. No, man, there's lots. There's more than six here. Like I could write them all out. He's got at least a half page. So it's good. Um, but uh, no, lots of, lots of great things, man. And I think once you, uh, because you've spent a lot of time doing a lot of these different things, you start to build up things that work and patterns. And it, what it found, it seems like you've got a lot of things that allow you to keep hustling forward. And I think that's brilliant. Thanks. Um, some of these things we've already talked to, but because it's the rapid round, I uh, will hit some of them, but you're welcome to um, scan over them or hit them again. So, all right. Uh, let me see. First one, what's your favorite part of investing? Yeah, it, you, most people say working with founders and, and I get that, but if I am honest, it's, um, it's, it's the learning that I get. I get so much value out of this so far. I, I gotta say um, it's, it's amazing how much value I get out of this personally from what I learned. And so you, I, I like the friendships with the founders and the connecting, but number one, it's got to, if I'm honest, it's uh, personal growth stuff. Love it. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? Uh, probably right now it's uh, three to four. Um, I could probably dial that up again if I was going fuller, fuller time in this. Um, but right now this isn't how I pay the bills. So um, no, I love it. That's great. Yeah. You're, uh, you're in line with uh, the world of investing, man. This is good. Uh, any, you mentioned a bit about this, but verticals you like to focus on. Yeah, nothing, nothing really uh, jumps out. Nothing. I, I like SaaS. So I, I, that is, if I would had to focus on something that if I was driven into one vertical, I'd be picking SaaS all day long. Okay. Which is, it's a service-based, uh, you know, internet company. It's still service at the end of the day. So I, I do understand that part. Okay, very well. Very good. Uh, any due diligence requirements you look for before making a commitment? Um, not really. I like to, I, there's a little thing in there. I like to make sure we have a, a pitch deck and a PDF. So I, if, if we, if we say no now, but we're, we circle back, I want to see that they have the tracking milestones. There's some software nowadays that, um, a few com um, founders use. And I would ask them to steer clear of that where they have, so they can update it. So if like, if they're, if the world changes, they can change their milestones to tweak their, their new narrative. And I want to see the narrative have milestones. And then if we circle back in six months, they've, they've hit some of them, not like they arbitrarily lower the bar and then they hit that bar. So, yeah. yeah. So that's basically, it's very basic. The rest, I'll just ask it as I need it. Okay. Any, um, timelines you put on investments from start to finish? 
In what regards? Uh, like, you start talking to a company, you'll make an investment within three months or six months. Like, is there a timeline? No, I typically, we, we act fast. We're, I don't think I've done due diligence longer than three weeks. I mean, there was, we have done one was six months, but that was more of a circle back. It's like, Hey, uh, it's an, it's not a, it's not a no, it's a not yet. Please do these, you know, here's, here's, you know, what we're thinking. And, uh, they won us over and then we, uh, we placed an investment six, seven months later during COVID. So yeah. Like it. Very good. Uh, any materials outside of like, um, the legal side of things, is there anything else that you really like to prepare and, and have part of your due diligence from, uh, you know, you deep dive into the CEO or the team that's supporting the product? Is there anything that you really like to see that uh, would help de-risk you guys from making an investment? It's, it's, I think there it's the listening and the interview. I'm pretty heavy on the communication and interview stuff. So I'm looking for, I'm looking to become a believer. And so uh, I will decide that pretty quick. Um, that does not take long. That's <clears throat> so it is more of a deep dive into the conversation. And then me reflecting on that conversation. That's my big takeaways because I'm going to parse through people and things pretty quickly. I'm going to Google their pitch deck. I'm going to Google their leaders. I'm going to do that stuff. And uh, along the way, try and put the puzzle together um, without going too deep. There's not, we're, our checks are not big enough to, to require, you know, to be in order to be founder friendly, cutting checks between 10 and $25,000 and you start taking up hours of their time. It's like, I think that there's a, that's one. I'm oriented to what is right, just, and fair. And that doesn't seem fair to me. Our check sizes aren't big enough to, to require due diligence at these crazy levels where we're, we're, I just don't think it's right. So we try to give people very quick answers um, and not take up too much time. And um, I think it's just wrong to do that, to be honest. I like it. Uh, do you lead rounds? Uh, again, same, same philosophy. Being that we are a smaller check sizes, I don't think it's right to the next investors. Um, to take our terms. I don't think I'm sophisticated enough to set terms. I, I, I'm sophisticated enough to understand evaluation, but I'm not sophisticated enough to set terms. Uh, my partner would be, but uh, given our check sizes, not appropriate for us to, to, to lead rounds. Okay. Any uh, preferred shares or types of investments you look for or uh, avoid? Um, nothing that we would avoid and, and we typically take what people are offering. Although I will, uh, I will, if we're going to, uh, invest, I will, I will want to dig deeper into the valuation. You know, what the, what the founder believes, um, what they believe about themselves, what they believe about the future, what they believe about the value of my money, what the value of their time is all codified inside their valuation. There's a ton of information, um, inside that valuation yesterday, for instance, a regional airline. Um, had a reasonable valuation, 15 million, but it's based on revenue like five years from now. So I'm like, well, in five years, you will have probably that revenue, perhaps. But today, you got nothing. So your valuation is wrong. And so that tells me that you're looking for fast turnaround or you're going to buy out other investors or the first, like, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you're out to lunch. And so it's, an, it's a, probably a never actually in that case because uh, codified inside that is you do not, you don't value my money, even though it is only $25,000. When you don't have $25,000, $25,000 is a lot of money. Yep. So, so uh, that's good. That's a, that's a good insight on how to uh, evaluate when someone's coming to you on how they value money, how they value your money and where they're sitting that that's good. I like that. Yep. Um, on the, uh, um, do you take board seats? Do you reinvest? We would, uh, I haven't taken a board seat. Um, I might take an observer seat. Uh, again, back to my kind of my, uh, you know, my personal uh, knowledge base probably isn't deep enough in too many things. I don't have the domain of expertise and in order to provide real value, I don't want to pad my, uh, you know, my resume to get a look at how many boards I'm on. It's not something I'm into. Again, that doesn't seem right, just or fair. So, um, but I would go on a board seat. There are situations inside of construct, like, uh, the construction stuff where I do have the main expertise and I would bring, uh, value beyond just, uh, being a cheerleader. So then in that case, I, I would consider taking a seat. Um, it's come up a few, uh, twice, um, and, uh, said no both times. So. All right. I got a company that you need to talk with that okay. you'll be a great fit for. Cool. His name's Gary. Remind me of it. Just so I 
throwing that in there. All right. So, uh, okay, cool. So, uh, outside of, uh, giving money to a company, is there any other things that you like to bring, uh, to that company to help them out? And you mentioned communications just as a, a feeder there. Is there anything else that you like to uh, push your companies to do or, uh, that you provide them with outside of just funding? Yeah. So, uh, trying to keep encouragement out of it. Cause that's, I do provide that, um, and belief. Um, uh, I do have a small, it's not big, but I do, if we invest in something, I share it with a few other guys, um, a few other fund managers that, uh, I, I, I've, I've met in my, my, my rookie experience these last couple of years. And, um, just say, Hey, I invest in this one, take a look. Cause, um, we've liked each other's investments. It's not this big network. Um, but it's, it's a network it's growing. So that's, that's about it. Um, if they need specific things, I'm really good at problem solving. So, um, so then if they, if they have, if they get stuck, I'm really good at go, if they're humble and coachable enough, hungry enough to ask for help, then I can help them. Uh, I'm, even though it might not be my, my expertise, if they're like thinking about sales or how to meet people, that's stuff I, I definitely uh, can do. Brilliant. I love it. All right. Rapid fire round is done. Uh, we're going to jump into, uh, there's like two more questions and then I'm going to hit some personal stuff. Okay. Learning to do personal things like personal questions. I'm not the best at it, but I've got a couple that I can ream off and maybe in show 90, I'll feel comfortable enough to actually ask a real comfortable, uncomfortable <laughs> question for myself to someone, but that's a long way from now. So, uh, in the, the time you've been working with startups and investing and, uh, from your work experience and your um, building experience, is there, is there a story where you've kind of, and you've mentioned a couple stories, which is awesome. Is there a story that kind of really exemplifies what it takes to be an entrepreneur or what it takes to be a startup? Um, you lived through something or you saw something when you made an investment and a company was like on the brink of success and then they failed or they were on the brink of uh, failure and then they just did something and it turned into success. Is there anything that just kind of really um, is amazing and you just got to share the story because it was just a pretty cool story to hear? Um, yeah, I can tell a quick story, which I think is about the second company I invested in. It's called Cyberdontics. Um, so you're looking, I believe you're looking, again, everything rises and falls on leadership. You're looking for humble. Uh, you might use the word coachable. I use the word hum uh, humble. Uh, I define humble, you know, humbleness is like you are put other people's first, but you actually do have confidence. You understand who you are and inside that you are, um, hey, you're humble and, uh, you gotta be hungry. Uh, and you, and that creates drive and incentive, you know, all that stuff. And so our, our second, um, investment, we were at, I was at a, a, a annual investors forum over in Vancouver. And one of the presenters was this kind of hippie looking guy, uh, you know, big beard, big, big hair, slick, like kind of weird looking, but he had a nice suit on. And his pitch was he was a dentist and he had people, the, the crowd um, was having a hard time understanding him because I think he, because he looked different. And as he was getting, went into the question mark, uh, you know, he said, I, you know, I was very touched on his story very gently, but he said, I, you know, I own, I own a few, um, almost in passing that I, I own four uh, dentists um offices that are rolled up into one and and then he went on to share you know this new idea that he had and uh, which which is uh creating um using robotics to do uh, crown procedures and i don't want to go into all the other details and and the guys were grilling him on on valuations and and all this stuff and he's working with them he's like whoa, whoa guys whatever you want we're gonna work with you and guys were like spitting mad and i was like what this guy is working with you he's humble he's he's here gauging with 50 of you investors he's in the lines and he's doing great. He's doing fantastic. You guys can't see it. And so I think we're the only ones that invested in, in that round from that, from that uh, event. And uh, a few months later, they're in YC. They tripled their valuation. They've got, they've got seven and a half million in LOIs. They got, they got more investments. They've, like they've raised in, they raised during COVID. They, they, they are slam. They're the most exciting company I've seen in, um, Let's say I've let's say I've looked at 130, 140 companies. Most exciting I've seen, except for rocket ship companies. That was probably the most exciting. This was the one that I, if I could look back on the last 140 companies I looked at, whatever it is, this is the one I'd want to invest in, and I did, and everybody missed it because um, they couldn't see through the anger in the room, and so the, they couldn't see through that he looked a little different. Meanwhile, when he he 
you know, cut his hair and shave the beard. He looks like the looks like you actually. He's got the he looks great. So so um, you know, never go with herd mentality and unless you're directing herd mentality. But yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So man, I, I can't I can't tell you how much it, it means to be to um, believe in people with what they're saying. And he was probably more successful than half those guys in the room. He already had a he already had four dental practices. So what are what are you missing? Can't you, that already tells you that the guy can lead, the guy can grow, the guy can manage, and he's here working another pro project while he's got the means he can hire managers and delegate. How could you not possibly see that? That's all clear by the fact that he's working this new idea and he answers someone in the room that he still has his four practices. And that should tell you everything he needs to know that he's, he's bored and he's looking for another opportunity to grow and build. He's like not even 40 yet. And all that stuff turned out to be true. And it should have been obvious by that one little fact. You should have been able to dig into the fact that I have four dental practices and I got a manager. You're like, well, that tells me everything I need to know about you as a leader. Now, yeah. do you have integrity? Do you have hunger? Looks like it. And why wasn't that obvious to everybody else in the room? Because they, they got stuck on valuation, but it's like, that's the narrative. There's the, they missed the narrative piece. And I think they missed it big. So, well, you, it also goes back to your view of I can see what's next. So you were able to see through all of that on his vision of where he was going and you didn't let all of the other little crap that everybody was nitpicking on. Um, and I, I, I see that 100% with following you with you is that uh, a lot of the times we'll see like someone that's got a, a bad pitch, but right. it, it doesn't mean that they don't have a great business. That's right. I'm not going to invest in you because you can't pitch. No, I'm going to invest in you because you can hustle and you work hard and you see the vision, you see where you're going. Those other things, they're just, uh, they're kind of like when you're building a house, they're the, um, they're the end goal is to put your touch-ups and uh, to go to that setup. But the rest of it, you got to build the nuts and bolts of it and get everything laid out so that you can do the finishings. The finishings are the great touch, but they're the end result. You got to put everything else before that. And he's building everything else before that. And you're looking at it saying, oh, this can't be good enough because it doesn't have the right finishes on it. Well, I'm sorry, but when that base is done, you're going to have one hell of a kick-ass home, and then you're going to have some touch-ups, and you're going to have that finishings. This is going to be rocket. You can yeah. learn those touch-ups after, so let's figure out how to get the rest of it done. So uh, kudos to you for catching that. That's awesome. Great story. I like that. Uh, all right, now we're going to go to something a little bit more personal. All right. Fire away. On this one here. So uh, first question is, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, Vancouver Canucks, man, all day. It's not even close. My brother's favorite team is Vancouver Canucks. And uh, I'm not a Leaf fan, I'm an Islander fan, but I'll give it to him. I do like the hustle Vancouver's always provided on their teams. They're yeah. maybe not the best at picking goalies, but uh, so far the rest <laughs> of the team has been pretty good. Oh, man. Oh, man, you're going to get me started fired up for real now. <laughs> <laughs> I know am I allowed to say that, but I'm pretty sure they don't have the best choice on goalies. No, they're not. I'm not even going to get into it. I get, oh, man. <laughs> Is there a hang-up button? Where's the hang-up button? <laughs> well, okay. So outside of that, uh, the next question is, favorite movie, and what character would you play in the movie? Oh, man. Uh, uh, two favorite movies. Uh, probably Interstellar. Uh, oh. Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey is who I would be. Yeah. My favorite freaking line in all of movie is when have you seen it yeah yeah so you know like the, the world hangs in the balance his daughter is at home uh you know she's about to figure out the thing but like it looks like her world's ending and now they're out there mad damon has just fired that um you know he's the airlock the airlock explodes and now these two ships are spinning in opposite directions and one's about to crash in the atmosphere and though like humanity hangs in the balance it's insanity and uh, he drives over to it. You got Tars, uh, the one robot, and Case, the other robot. And they're like, they are doing the math in their head, right? They're, they're freaking robots. And they go, you can't do that. You can't do that, uh, that Tuck. You can't do that. It's, it's, um, it's impossible. And he says, I will. It's necessary. And I, I like, it gives me goosebumps. It gives me shivers. And he goes and does what's impossible. And I, I, I love I can't tell you for some reason I love that. Why also I love that movie is it's a love story between a father and his daughter. Most stories in Hollywood are love stories between, uh, you know, a man and a woman. It's, it's, it's romantic. This love 
is as someone with who had at the time when it came out, I had four daughters. So my first four kids were, were girls. And so that's a very powerful narrative. Yeah. That, that um, it's just powerful that that's what transcends reality, gravity, all these things that love is what was perceptive and what love is what saved them. Oh, that's, that's amazing, man. Uh, yeah. I will. It's necessary. See, man, you've got a ton of lines. <laughs> Pulling them out from everywhere. I love it. Um, well, it's brilliant, man. And uh, I think that um, it's been awesome talking with you. Uh, I enjoy the fact that uh, we were able to go through this little journey, if you will. Great little narrative. But you provided a lot of insight and a lot of learning from uh, two perspectives, which is an investor perspective and, of course, uh, being an entrepreneur. And we don't get that a lot because usually you're just an investor or whatever. We always forget that there's an entrepreneur in there or there's a business person. So I, I'm super glad that we got to touch on both of those. Uh, like I usually do, lots of notes. Uh, wouldn't look good if I wasn't writing things down. But man, you got a lot of lines. I'm just going to read them all off because they were so good. But uh, big fan of that. I will. It's necessary. And I think that just resonates with me in startups is that there, there is no way of telling people that you've got to, you've got to take out of your mind that there is no way you can't do this. I hate the world. I can't. I hate the way people use that as I can't do this. And I'm all over my nieces and nephews. Stop saying that word because you can. You can do anything. I agree with you fully. Like uh, my my uh, my brother-in-law, he used to say, uh, "You can't, eh? Can you? If there's a gun to your head, like you're not." <laughs> and so, like he would say that over and over and over again, uh, because well, if you got a gun to your head, you'd be surprised what you can do and what you're motivated to do. <laughs> and yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's yeah. failures. No, there's no win in failure. So I know people say that you can learn a lot from failure. I, I'm tired of those things. So for me, it's, uh, I got to do whatever it takes. I got to figure it out. And if I can't, then I know I got to fail and move on, but I got to do whatever it takes to get to that point. And you know what? I guarantee you that when I get to that bottom point where I can't figure it out, it's going to be amazing, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. And I love that you said that I, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people like to make business plans and like, you know, things that then get, I think that are tools to get them stuck in analysis paralysis. But, you know, we were putting together a, a purchase for a land and, and my people are like, what's your plan? It's like, my plan is to buy it and figure it out. And that might not sound like a plan, but like that's reality is like, you don't know what you don't know. You think you're going to see, you think you can see all the little nooks and crannies like that. You can't, but it's like, what I know is like anything that comes up, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go forward. Nothing's going to yep. stop. And entrepreneurs, they get that. And that's why they can detect when other people are hungry or not. They're like, well, I, you know, we'll see. You're like, we're not going to see. We're going to figure it out. We're going to tackle it. We're gonna, it's, just, it's just another robot. There's robots everywhere and like life is hard. It's not should be surprising or shocking when things get in your way and when people get in your way and when things go wrong and you got to be, you got to build and understand that that's life. And if you don't get that, you're, you're naive and you're going to get hurt. So, yeah. And I think you used the line earlier, iterate, iterate, and iterate. Yeah. yeah. See, I told you I'm going to fit these lines in, man. This is good. All right. Well, again, I thank you very much, Colin. Uh, you've been awesome. And uh, the what we like to end our shows off with is we always like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to investors, to startups, to business people, we give you the last word to say whatever you think fits. Uh, because uh, it's all about you and what you're talking about today. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah. Um, I would say that just remember, because it doesn't matter what, um, everything in life rises and falls on leadership. It is, the world belongs to those who can execute. If you can execute, get a job um, or learn to execute. But um, that is, that's how the world uh, works. That's how the world's built. And that's who will build the future. So it um, doesn't matter if it's politics, doesn't matter if it's business, doesn't matter if it's families. If you can't lead your family, if you can't lead yourself. A lot of people talk about following their heart, but it's like, no, you got to lead your heart. Your heart will deceive you. Your desires will deceive you. And you got to function inside the, the constraints of discipline and discipline. You know, your strengths will take you to the as far as you want to go in life, but your weaknesses will hold you back. So um, get disciplined. I love it, man. Execution, discipline, and don't take no for an answer. Drive it forward. I like it. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Thank you for the last word. You're a good man. Keep up the hustle. And uh, we're going to keep chatting because I, uh, I remember I already seated you with Gary, the name. So we will uh, connect on that name once again. But thank you very much again, Colin. You're, uh, you're a rock star. 
and uh, keep up helping everybody. You're doing a great job. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is great. Oh, that was fantastic. So <clears throat> I can say that uh, uh, Colin had some fantastic lines. Um, if you can't sell, you can't grow. Uh, you need mentorship. Ask for help. Uh, be available. Answer your phone, your damn phone. Ah, brilliant stuff. Um, you know, if you're in a company, act like you own the company, build it, grow it, be part of it, put your effort and time in because one day you're going to own the company or you're going to be part of that bigger entity. I think that that was a brilliant way to look at things. Um, and the other line I really like too, is that he said, you know, your job is to make me a believer. So sell, figure out how to sell better so that you can make them a believer. Uh, I really thought that was great. Um, I was a big fan of his favorite movie, Interstellar with uh, Matthew McConaughey. I've, the ending was fantastic in that movie. Uh, super unpredictable and it was just good. Like you had to really think about it. So um, great narrative, find the narrative, make it happen. And uh, like you said, you know, we're buying a ticket to be part of the journey. So uh, make it worthwhile and uh, build that company and ask for help when you need it. But uh, it was great chatting with them. Uh, Colin did a fantastic job. So thanks everybody and have a fantastic uh, week.